When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and Logic. Love and Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give Love & Logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love & Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com. In 1986, in the middle of an episode of the beloved sitcom The Golden Girls, a silly, simple joke. Not Lebanese, Blanche. <laughs> Lesbian. Triggered that classic laugh track and a surprising legacy. That's because those four Golden Girls had an unsuspecting power. The power to influence public perception about a topic that remained taboo. You have these four women living together in a chosen family. This is a really powerful relationship they have with each other. And I think that's subconsciously really good modeling for anyone, really. In shoulder pads and caftans, the Golden Girls snuck positive gay representation into millions of living rooms across America, creating a ripple effect in writers' rooms and on screens for decades to come. I'm Jessica Bennett. And I'm Susie Bannock-Karam. And this is In Retrospect, where each week we revisit a cultural moment from the past that shaped us. And that we just can't stop thinking about. Today, we're talking about the Golden Girls' first encounter with a lesbian and the way it spawned an enduring gay joke. But we're also talking about the creative ways that Hollywood has written, and sometimes hidden, queer characters for decades. This is part two. So, Susie, we've been talking about the Lebanese lesbian episode of Golden Girls, which is actually called Isn't It Romantic, that aired in 1986. And in that episode, Dorothy's friend Jean comes to visit after the death of her partner, Pat, and she develops a crush on Rose. As we spoke about, that episode was ahead of its time for many reasons. You know, it was a pretty tender depiction of a lesbian character at a time when that was pretty rare. And as we have laughed about, its repetition of the word lesbian really drove home that that was a word we should feel comfortable with. Yeah, and even the fact that there was a gay character at all was pretty significant for that time. Yeah, 
And in order to understand how subversive that was for the time, what you really need to understand is the way that gay and lesbian characters were depicted back then. So I want to set the scene a little bit in terms of what was happening in this time. Prior to 1970, there really were very few, if any, gay characters on screen at all. And, like, that makes sense for the time. Like, homosexuality was classified as a mental illness until 1973. It was? I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah, in the DSM. Pretty recent, yeah. But then, you know, in 1969, Stonewall occurs. So the gay liberation movement is bursting forward in the early 1970s. And representation on television begins to shift as a result of that. So in 1971, you have the first gay male character who appears on the sitcom All in the Family. But he thinks that you're the... I can't even say it, Steve. He's right, Arch. Huh? And that's interesting, too, because four years later, that same show has a recurring drag queen character that's actually played by an out drag queen. I'm afraid you don't understand, Mrs. Bunker. I'm a transvestite. And then skip ahead a few years in 1977, you have a trans character that appears on the Jeffersons. And the plot line there is essentially George, who's the patriarch of the Jefferson family, goes to meet his old Navy buddy, Eddie, only to find out that Eddie has transitioned to Evie. Look, you don't understand, George. I'm a woman. Deep down inside, I've always been a woman. Even in the Navy? <laughs> Even in the Navy. Oh, interesting. And actually, you know, in 1977 is the same year there's that show Soap that appears with Billy Crystal playing a gay character, oh. right? Oh, okay. And I think that show was also made by Susan Harris, who made Golden Girls, right? Golden Girls. Oh, I hadn't realized that. Okay, so before the Golden Girls episode, she has already done this. Yeah, and interestingly, that show initially got a lot of backlash for having an openly gay character, but then went on to become a huge success. So maybe that's why she felt so comfortable. Oh, so maybe that emboldened her. Yeah. Yeah. So 1977 was, I guess, a big year because that, also was the year that one of the first black gay characters appears on television. And this is in an episode of Sanford Arms. I didn't know this show, but it was a spinoff of the popular black sitcom Sanford and Sons. Basically, the character in the show is this tall, handsome civil rights lawyer. So very much a positive depiction. It's so interesting this is all happening in the 70s when you told me that just until 1973, it was classified as a mental illness, you you sort of feel like it's a sea change in terms of the way people are starting to think, right? Yeah, actually, that's a really good point, because what you're seeing in the 70s is pretty progressive, but then there's this kind of backlash or this erosion of that when you start to have the 80s emerge. Essentially, by the time The Golden Girls airs this episode in 1986, AIDS is a crisis. A mystery disease known as the gay plague. AIDS appears to be a virus transmitted through body secretions. Ronald Reagan is president. I think that abstinence has been lacking in much of the education. President Reagan was repeatedly booed at an AIDS research fundraising dinner last night. And I think to some degree, Hollywood gets scared off from writing these fully rounded gay characters. I mean, I think AIDS was used so much as a cudgel to push back on gay civil rights, right? I mean, it was just a way in which people stoked so much fear around gayness and gay people. So it makes sense that that actually pulled back on some of the gains. Yeah, pulled back. And then at the same time, if there are gay characters written into scripts, They're typically white gay men, and the plot lines usually revolve around AIDS in some way anyway. So it's this very negative depiction. Yeah, I guess it was either negative or very sorrowful. So you just never got any depictions of gay joy. 
But also, where were all the lesbians? So to a large degree in the 80s, lesbian visibility on film actually reflects life. Like, it's very much in the shadows, even as lesbians are very instrumental to the fight for gay rights. A couple of things worth understanding are essentially how lesbians fit into the larger feminist movement, which was very charged at the time, in part because Betty Friedan called lesbians, quote, the lavender menace, because she felt like they would derail the women's movement's other causes. And so I love lavender menace. I know. What is, why lavender? I love the color lavender. Like, whatever. Um, And so lesbians felt marginalized within the women's movement, but they also felt pretty marginalized within the larger gay community. You know, the first dyke march, which is the lesbian march, that happens every year around Pride didn't even happen or become a thing until 1993. And I think that also shows just how groundbreaking that Golden Girls episode was in 1986. Because in fact, the lesbian character, Jean, the friend of Dorothy's, as we've discussed, was just the second lesbian character ever to appear on primetime TV. Wow, really? Even in 1986, it was the second time they'd had a lesbian character? Yes. And the first happened just a few years before on a cop show called Hill Street Blues. And the lesbian was a police officer. I remember Hill Street Blues. Isn't that the show that um, spawned, like, be careful out there? Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. With the cops, they end the meeting by saying, be careful out there. I had no idea. But I don't remember this character, so it must not have been a super prominent character. Yeah, I mean, that's probably by design. I don't particularly remember it either, but lesbian representation was also working against this thing called the Hayes Code. Susie, I feel like you probably know what that is. I mean, when you say that, I feel like I should know, but I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't know that you should know. Um, I just feel like you're our TV film whisperer. But the Hayes Code was a set of content guidelines for American movies that existed between 1934 and 1968. With movies at their lowest moral ebb, But riding high financially, a new name appears on the national scene, Will Hayes. And the Hayes Code basically outlined moral codes for what could appear on screen. And so they kept this list of topics that were not allowed to be shown. Things like homosexuality, which was called, in their words, sexual perversion, interracial relationships, drug use, scenes of passion. That feels like it could be very hard to define. (laughs) Nudity, ridicule of religion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the Hayes Code was for movies, but the point is it's seeped into television. It goes on to set the model for what becomes the Code of Practices for Television Broadcasters. That's a mouthful. But basically, that's the code that prohibited depictions of homosexuality. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know any of this history, but it makes sense. I mean, a lot of those codes are still in place. Like, there are a lot of things you still can't say on TV. And didn't you used to not be able to say hell for a long time on television? Yeah, and actually, I want to reintroduce Maya Salam here. She's the culture editor at The New York Times who's written about this and who we spoke to earlier. And specifically, she's written about how so much of this stuff ties back to the power of the Catholic Church. And it wasn't just words that you couldn't say. It was subjects, too. So divorce, abortion, homosexuality. The church threatened to boycott movies if these strict regulations weren't applied. And so filmmakers and studios bowed to them. So that's why, you know, characters were written as like sissies, villains, or sexual deviants is kind of the way that it's put. Then it was more acceptable. They would be more likely to allow it if they were cast in this really negative way. So essentially what Maya is saying here is that the only way to have content that the Catholic Church 
would disapprove of, like representations of homosexuality, was to write these characters as villains. So that behavior could basically act as a warning to viewers, like, don't do this. (laughs) Look what will happen to you. And to get around that, writers and directors start doing something called queer coding, which is essentially create characters who appear to be queer but couldn't actually be out due to the codes. That's actually kind of brilliant. So there's ways in which they're indicating that someone is gay but not explicitly saying it. Exactly. Here's Maya again. That's when you really start to see the really clever ways that queerness was shown and explored in characters. It was really this under the radar, only gays maybe might pick up on it. You don't know unless you know kind of representation. One of my favorites is Calamity Jane, which is a 1953 musical Western with Doris Day. And there's a scene in the movie where she like walks up to sort of who would be her crush And she kind of like almost tries to like look down her top and she's like, oh, I think I might be in love with you or something like that. Gosh almighty, you're the prettiest thing i ever seen. And there's a a wonderful song. It's called Secret Love, first of all. And my secret love's no secret anymore. And it is the gayest. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Jess, it sounds like queer coding initially was a good thing. It was kind of a way to have gay characters hidden in plain sight and give them an opportunity to be part of the stories. Right. And Jean, the lesbian friend of Dorothy, is on Golden Girls, is really a great example of this. Here's Drew Mackey again. For a lesbian character, Jean is very femme. Like, she looks like one of the girls. Like, you would not look at her and presume she's a lesbian. So she is like sneaky, and that sounds like a negative phrase, but I'm, I'm using it as a positive here. Like, they, they, they did their homework. They tricked the audience into giving a shit about a gay person, which is remarkable. Yeah, so the problem with queer coding is that in some cases, it's easy for these characters to quickly veer from kind of like this, you know, wink, nod, example of representation to tropes. So this positive thing can sort of turn negative when it becomes yeah. kind of stereotypical. So what do some of those tropes look like? One of them is what Drew and his co-hosts call the angel gay. It's this idea that you have to be perfect, good in every way. Like, you're not allowed to have flaws if you're a gay character because you can't possibly reflect poorly on your community in any way. Oh, interesting. So this is sort of like the equivalent of a model minority? Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. Here's Drew talking about how this applies to that Golden Girls episode. In some ways, Jean is sort of an angel lesbian in that, like, yeah. she doesn't really have any flaws. She's, right. aside from the fact that she is lusting after Rose, and angel gays normally don't get to want someone the way Jean wants Rose. So that's probably the one exception to it. And Okay. Uh, it's because bit, they can't show lust or desire. They don't, yeah, they they don't. You're, you're there to, like, maybe make some snappy comments and that's it. Mostly right. you're there to help probably a straight female character achieve something in her life. And then you <laughs> flit away and you never heard from again. <laughs> there is this thing that happens on sitcoms where usually in the second season, they'll do an episode that tells the audience, despite how things might look, this character is not gay. And this is an example of that where if someone was watching, like, why are these ladies living together? Are they some sort of lesbians? This is the episode <laughs> that will definitively spell out, they are not lesbians. B. Arthur has that voice. She's not right. a lesbian. They are all heterosexual. Don't worry. You're watching a straight show with straight characters. Do you have a name for that? I guess we're called the second season clarification. Another trope you might recognize is called barrier gaze. That doesn't sound good. The trope was originally used actually in books. It was a way for gay authors to write about gay characters without coming under fire for breaking laws. And so you see this a lot in lesbian pulp fiction of the 1950s and 60s. And the idea there was that 
they could avoid the censors and the obscenity laws because if a queer character was given a happy ending, it would set off alarms. But if you just kill one off at the end, then it becomes a cautionary tale. Oh, God. Tara? Baby? God, it's so insidious. Isn't that crazy? So it sort of starts as this sneaky, positive, but not totally positive thing. But then it just starts to become a broader trope. Meaning they just eventually start killing off all their gay characters? I mean, kind of. Autostraddle, which is a lesbian website, has a list that they update every year of currently it's 230 dead lesbian and bisexual characters on TV and how they died. It's interesting because that's a trope we hear about so much in horror movies about the Black friend. Like, if you're the Black friend Mm. in a horror movie, you're going to die first. But I didn't realize this was also a thing if you were a lesbian or bisexual character, you also were doomed. That's a really good comparison. And yeah, there are a few that I remember. Like, there's an example in 1987 in NYPD Blue where Kathy, who is a lesbian, is shot by a hitman hired by her girlfriend's ex. There's another example on Buffy, which I think is more our generation. There's this scene where you finally get to see longtime girlfriends Willow and Tara in bed together. Mm, I forgot how good this could feel. Us together without the magic. There was plenty of magic. And yet then in that very same episode, Tara is killed by a stray bullet. So you don't get to see the relationship progress. Wasn't that sort of a famous scene with Willow and Tara because they had shared a historic kiss? Yeah, that's why I think it was so upsetting when she was killed off. But here, let me go to Maya again, because she actually talks about how this plays out in a couple of different ways. There is the obvious, the person literally dies, (laughs) drops dead. Mm -hmm. But even if a lesbian character or any LGBTQ character, even the Golden Girls character in a way, they might not die, but you just never see them again. You know, it's one thing to, like, come out on TV or be on an episode. It's a whole other thing to have a whole storyline and continue to be gay. So it's, like, one thing to come out and be gay on on TV, but it's another thing to stay gay. Okay, there's one other phenomenon I want to mention here, which is the lesbian kiss, and in particular, the lesbian kiss episode, which becomes a thing in television and film where a seemingly heterosexual female character will kiss a possibly lesbian or maybe Mm -hmm. bi character. And in many of the instances, like the potential for a relationship does not actually survive past this one episode. And, you know, the lesbian or suspected lesbian is never to be heard from again. And the other character goes back to their straight hetero So this would be sort of like the lesbian kiss that's really purely for the male gaze. I think that's exactly it. And one of the first big examples of this comes in 1991 on L.A. Law. Oh, I know L.A. Law. I watched L.A. Law. (laughs) I'm beginning to think this episode is purely set up to make it look like I did nothing but watch TV as a child, which is not (laughs) You did watch it. And maybe I didn't watch enough (laughs) TV. It's like all I did, apparently. Um, Because I don't remember this. But what happened is there's a kiss between these two lawyers, C.J. Lamb and Abby Perkins, and it's widely regarded as the first romantic kiss between two women on a major network. And this is interesting because it's historic in a good way in that it's the first time two women kiss on TV. And also because, you know, neither one of them dies or like kills anyone or is ostracized afterward. But I don't remember this character being gay at all. So that's fascinating. And part of that is probably because it was never meant to be a real relationship that would develop. You kissed me back. 
Yeah, well, I'd, I'd sort of like to forget the whole thing. Even later on, as the actresses who played these characters were interviewed, they've described how essentially this kiss was included for ratings. Of course. Like, it was not yeah. meant to be developed. It was not meant to be expanded on. And that was it. Wasn't there something similar on Picket Fences? Yeah, so Picket Fences is another example where two teenagers kiss in 1993. And then one of the big ones that's often referenced is 1994 on Roseanne. And this is a kiss between Roseanne Barr and Mariel Hemingway, and it's in an episode titled Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Gotta hang out more often. I was thinking that too, but next time, let's leave the wives at home. Yeah. <laughs> you read my mind. Huh? I don't actually remember this particular episode, but this must have been the Clinton era, right? Because Don't Ask, Don't Tell yeah. was something he introduced in relationship to gays in the military, but it was very much part of the zeitgeist. And this one actually ends up being a pretty big deal. The kiss lasts for three seconds. Oh, my God. So, of course, in, if you rewatch it, you can't actually see either of their lips. So, how, you know. How, I mean, uh, I, now I'm going to have to go watch, and watch that because I don't know how you would have a kiss where you couldn't see any lips. But it becomes a big deal. Like, ABC didn't want to air the episode. And whatever we think of Roseanne Barr today, at this time, she to her credit, threatened to take her sitcom to another network if they wouldn't actually air it, which I think is part of the beauty of being in charge of your own show, which yeah. she was at the time with her husband. I mean, I think that is the sad thing about Roseanne Barr because that show really did break so many barriers and was so progressive in so many ways. And actually, that character becomes one of the first recurring bisexual characters on a show. So it really did have an impact. But for the most part, these lesbian kiss episodes were more just sweep stunts. And in many cases, these sweep stunts are dreamed up by straight male showrunners. I mean, of course they are, because straight male showrunners still run most shows, unfortunately. And the thing is, these stunts are actually pretty effective in a lot of ways. Like, they're visual, they are cheap, they're controversial, so people talk about them. And then the other thing is they're, like, easily reversible. You don't have to develop the relationship. You can, like you said, just, like, go vanish into the night and go back to the plot line as you had it before. Right. So it's like the lesbian sweeps in, gives you your sweeps numbers, and then sweeps away. Exactly. You know what this reminds me of, actually, is do you remember when Brittany and Madonna and Christina Aguilera did that kiss at the MTV VMAs in 2003? I, of course, remember this moment. but. I think I've forgotten the details a little bit. Like, I remember there was a pretty lengthy kiss between Britney and Madonna. And was Christina watching while that happened? Well, I mean, I guess Christina was watching. But really what it was was that the three of them performed a song, Britney, Madonna, and Christina Aguilera. And at the end of the song, Madonna leans over and gives Britney kind of a peck, actually. It's not like a lengthy kiss, although there was a lot of debate at the time of whether or not there was tongue or whatever. And then she does the same with Christina, but most people don't remember the Christina part because the camera mm. immediately panned to Justin Timberlake because Brittany and Justin had recently broken up. So, you know, all the audience cared about was his reaction or all the director thought the audience would care about was his reaction. So, you know, Brittany wrote about this in her book about how this becomes kind of a, a big cultural moment. And it's for the same reasons, right? It's salacious and it, like, gets attention because it's two women kissing. And actually... Maya said something really interesting about how growing up during this time, these random performative kisses felt so prevalent that they actually influenced how she felt about using the word lesbian. 
I mean, I will admit that it has not always been the most comfortable word for me to use. Depends on the setting in the 80s and 90s and the aughts. It was like a phrase that represented it, it just went hand in hand with like pornography and what the word lesbian was like a word kind of owned and used by like men to represent like what they wanted to see. It was it was like titillating to say the word. lesbian. Exactly. Exactly. You don't always want to conjure up images of like lesbian sex in people's minds when you use the word. So I used to just rely on using the word gay because I didn't feel like I own the word lesbian in the way that I wanted to, the way that I feel like I do now. But some real lesbian characters do start to emerge, right? In in the late 90s, in the aughts, we start to see this improve in a way. Yeah, there were a few. One that I really remember is on Friends, where you have Ross's ex-wife, Carol, who has an affair and leaves him for Susan. Yes. Friends, Family, we're gathered here today to join Carol and Susan in holy matrimony. And Susan and Carol go on to get married, and the three of them co-parent their son, which is actually a really nice example of a blended family. I really remember that. It was often sort of a joke at Ross's expense, right, that his wife had left him for a woman. But they did air Susan and Carol's wedding nearly a decade before same-sex marriage was legal in the United States. Yeah, so all of that was great in a lot of ways, but there were still limits. Like, they didn't kiss at that wedding. The wedding episode was banned in several markets. And like you said, the relationship was really used as a punchline at the expense of Ross, like sometimes in a funny way, but also as a punchline. It just seems like Ross is the kind of guy who would marry a woman on the verge of being a lesbian and then push her over the edge. Another thing that happened was later on, the actress who played Susan actually did an interview where she talked about how she was cast for the role because basically she didn't look like a lesbian. So she was palatable enough for for the Friends audience. You know, that's kind of a parallel to Jean in the Golden Girls episode, right? That in some ways, it's progress to have lesbian characters who don't look like some sort of stereotype. The same way it's progress not to have gay men who always have to be like sassy best friends. But on the other hand, it's also about making them accessible to a quote-unquote mainstream audience, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I want to go back to Jean for a moment and that Golden Girls episode that started all of this. Because, yes, on the one hand, like, Jean is the perfect not-too-lesbian lesbian, but there are also some things in watching the episode now that really stood out to me. The first thing is that Jean's character is pretty well-developed for a gay character at that time. Like, she's comfortable with her sexuality. She's uninterested in hiding it. At one point when Dorothy is telling her that she wasn't sure she should tell the other girls, Jean says, well, you know, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of who I am. Hey, you know your friends better than I do. Do you think they're the kind of people who can handle it? I'd prefer to tell them. And also, she's always been a lesbian. Like, she's not just trying this on which I think is how in later years a lot of the gay characters were depicted as just trying it out and then going back to the way they were. And even when, you know, she has the hots for Rose, it's not treated in like a predatory sense or even so much like a joke. And then when the episode closes, after we've learned that Rose doesn't share the feelings, but she says this really lovely thing, which is she gently tells Jean, if I were like you, meaning a lesbian, I'd be proud and flattered that you thought of me that way. That is actually a really lovely way to respond. I think we all wish that, you know, when we were presented with something uncomfortable, we would respond in such like a gentle and sweet way. 
And so it's interesting looking back and trying to analyze, I guess, what is going on here and like how much the writers were actually conscious of what they're doing. Because on the one hand, Jean, she appears, she's like very attractive. She's super palatable. She looks like the other girls. You know, she's got her own caftan. She's not butch. She's not playing into the stereotype we might have of what a lesbian looks like. At the same time, the writers are not shying away from the fact that she is who she is. Like, they say the word lesbian in that episode over and over and over again. Like, if you were confusing Lebanese and lesbian before, you will not be confusing it after you watch this. And that was really not common at that time. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. We've finally seen an evolution to some degree with how lesbians are depicted on TV, but I'm curious if anything else comes of the Lebanese lesbian joke. Well, yes. So just to recap, after Golden Girls, the joke first reemerges in 1991 on the Rosie O'Donnell show in a conversation with Ellen DeGeneres. And then again, it appears in Mean Girls as a kind of wink-wink inside joke about Janice Ian, the hot goth Lebanese lesbian. 
But this is the best part. The joke keeps coming up. (laughs) It really does have a life of its own. It is again in a 2011 episode of Glee. This is an episode titled Born This Way, which is the Lady Gaga queer anthem. Um, yes, I watched Glee. I'm guessing Glee. you also watched Glee. Okay, yes, <laughs> obviously. I'm familiar both with Lady Gaga and Glee. <laughs> okay, and so in this episode, there's a scene of Santana and Brittany, and Brittany gets a t-shirt made that's supposed to say lesbian, but instead it says Lebanese. Wait, was that supposed to be lesbian? Yeah, isn't that what it says? And it's supposed to be, I guess, this kind of airhead moment or mistake, but there it is again, Lebanese lesbian. I probably watched this and it didn't register for me because I didn't know that this joke was like a thing. So I probably was just like, yes, she's very ditzy. Then later on in 2017, there's actually an episode of Master of None. This is the show created by Aziz Ansari. And they devote this entire episode to the coming out story of Denise, who is played by Lena Waithe. We finally found a show that I did not watch, but I do remember that Lena won an Emmy for this, right? I've been meaning to watch this show. Yes, Lena Waithe won an Emmy for this. But the interesting thing here is that this joke appears again, but this time it's a little bit less of a joke. Here, I'm going to let Maya explain this. I talk about this episode all the time because I do think it's pretty much the greatest, one of the greatest episodes of television in like the last 10 years. But in this episode, the Lebanese lesbian joke kind of takes like a little bit of a different spin, even though it's used in a similar way, but it's not as jokey. Lena Waithe is the adult Denise, but here you have like the teenage Denise speaking to Dev, the childhood version of Aziz Ansari's character. But they have this conversation. Wait, are are you trying to tell me that you're, you know... She says, like, you know, I'm Lebanese. Lebanese? Wait, you're from Lebanon? No, I just, I don't know how to, I'm not comfortable with the word, uh, lesbian. And she kind of uses that as a cover because she's not ready to use the word lesbian or say the word lesbian, even as reference to herself, who she is, or in conversation, um, because she's still kind of like grappling with that reality. So she uses it as kind of a substitute word that she's more comfortable saying. I just love that so much because it's like we've seen this plan words go from ha ha, wink, wink, that's what she said joke to this actually really poignant moment that allows this character to say how she identifies without having to say it. Yeah, it's really sweet in a way that this joke that now that we've traced the history sort of started in a way that was throwaway really has become meaningful for some people. Okay, I have one other thing to tell you, which is that as I was interviewing Maya, she had been watching RuPaul's Drag Race, where this joke came up again. I couldn't believe when this happened. It seemed like I was dreaming in a way because it was so perfect. And so what was happening is Maya was watching this episode of Drag Race where the queens are tasked in this challenge with giving some lesbians a makeover. Ru and Michelle have this uh, exchange where Michelle Visage asks, you know, why are we remaking, you know, Lebanese women? And Rose like, not Lebanese, Michelle. Lesbian. Lesbian. And then you really have the full circle moment where Michelle is like, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Thanks, Golden Girls. And she looks at the camera and winks. And I'm like, we're living in a simulation. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it's perfect. 
It's almost too perfect. And so I guess, I don't know, somewhere in writers' rooms all over America, people are still deciding that this is a joke worthy of telling. That is beautiful. And I have to say that going on this journey with you about this joke has made me love the Golden Girls even more than I did before, which I did not know was possible. I love that. And I'm so glad. And I also have one more surprise for you, Susan. (gasps) Though it's not actually for you. But (laughs) do you remember when I told you (laughs) that... Maya, this is Maya Salam, New York Times culture editor, very established yes. journalist, was once the proud owner of LebaneseLesbian.com. Of course. How could I forget such a thing? <laughs> How could you forget? Well, when we were talking, she confessed to me that she actually let it lapse. And I was horrified. I mean, like, honestly, that's pretty homophobic, maybe <laughs> even. And so, you know, I did what a good ally does. I decided to buy it for her. So, Susie, you're now speaking to the owner of LebaneseLesbian.com, which (laughs) honestly is probably appropriate. So I need to figure out how to transfer this to Maya immediately. That's really beautiful. Congratulations, Maya. And congratulations to Lebanese lesbians everywhere. Jess, do you want to tell listeners what we have coming up next week? Yes, it's an interview with the director of Bottoms, the hilarious gay fight club comedy whose director happens to also be the best friend of one of our producers, Sharon. I knew that I wanted to make a teen comedy and that I wanted it to be queer from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, There was no, we'll see what the sexualities of these characters are. This is In Retrospect. Thanks for listening. Is there a pop culture moment you can't stop thinking about and want us to explore in a future episode? Email us at inretropod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at inretropod. If you love this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. If you hate it, you can post nasty comments on our Instagram, which we may or may not delete. You can also find us on Instagram at Jessica Bennett and at SusieBNYC. Also, check out Jessica's books, Feminist Fight Club and This is 18. In Retrospect is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Meteor. Lauren Hansen is our supervising producer. Derek Clements is our engineer and sound designer. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Sharon Atia is our researcher and associate producer. Our executive producer from The Meteor is Cindy Levy. Our executive producers from iHeart are Anna Stumpf and Katrina Norbell. Our artwork is from Pentagram. Additional editing help from Mary Dew. Our mixing engineer is Amanda Rose Smith. We are your hosts, Susie Banakaram and Jessica Bennett. We are also executive producers. For even more, check out inretropod.com. See you next week. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. 
So as another busy Tuesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and Logic. Love and Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give Love & Logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love & Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com.